Hello and welcome to Core Women. My name is Dr. Summer Watson and I'm the founder of Core Women and I'm also an empowerment strategist for women. So if you're listening to this podcast to delve more into empowerment strategies, well, you're here for the right reason. However, Core Women was also developed because it's a special place that provides a unique idea of home for the hearts and souls of women. It's a place for us to share our strength, energy, wisdom, and authenticity. It's a place for women to find support and strategic empowerment ideas that will help support their lives. Today on the show, I'd like to welcome Lori London. Lori has such a unique history from world traveler, journalist, anchor for National Public Radio, conservation editor for the Wild Lens Magazine, and breast cancer survivor. Wow. Just wow. We have so much to talk about. So let's get right into this, Lori, and welcome. Thank you. Thanks so much for having me. Absolutely. So I'm really going to leave this up to you in relation to where you'd like to begin, because when when you're talking about your personal and professional journey, you have done so much, have been through quite a bit. You're an animal advocate, a journalist, someone that reports a range of news, and you're an all-around change maker. You're an advocate for so much. So where would you like to begin? You know, it's interesting because I could never really, um, in my early years of college, really figure out what I wanted to do with my life. I knew the things I cared about, but I never at that point equated it with, well, the things you care about are the ways you should earn a living. I always thought that they had to be separate and, and it's, it's a realization that's really coming forth now as I've tried a bunch of different things in my life and watched my mother change careers many times happily and creatively. And I think that the one consistent thing for me has always been a really deep passion for the natural world, for equality when it comes to all living beings, species, my love of just being outside. And it's interesting because that combined with this unbelievable sense of just need for adventure which is funny because when they give you those tests in school and you're trying to figure out you know the career tests or your app not aptitude so much but um trying to pin down your interests and careers you would be good at it stands out to me that one of them in particular i believe it was the strong it was uh what are you most drawn to and the only thing that really came up high was adventure Really? (laughs) Yeah. So I've been looking for that adventure my whole life. And, you know, that's led me on adventures, obviously. So writing is just something innate for me. It's organic. Even as a young person in teens, I always was writing poetry and songs and music. And so, yeah, I just started writing for the Coast Weekly in Monterey, which was wonderful and tried to write about a lot of things related to wildlife and nature and things that impacted the community. And, and then I got a, had a chance to move into Northern California outside of Chico and work on an animal sanctuary, farm sanctuary. And that was just one of the most incredible experiences of my life. Um, it really solidified me as a vegan. I haven't eaten any animal product in over 20 years and I was doing a lot of education with 
uh, live-in volunteers, taking them to places that are not necessarily pleasant, but learning and educating. And then I was doing cooking demos. And next thing you know, I'm, I don't know where I came from. I uh, started a radio show and it was called Hour for Animals and started doing interviews. And suddenly there was that journalism connection and the next thing you know, I don't know, my, my radio career sort of just took off faster than I could figure out what I wanted. <laughs> so, wow. Okay. So yeah. it seemed like things really ramped up. Tell us a little bit about that first show. Tell us a little bit about your love for humanity and that how that directed you into your Hour for Animals, that weekly radio program. Interesting, you know. It was not long after my father had passed away and I, for some reason, had this idea. Um, It could have been because he always was sort of very, wanting me to be, do something theatrical. I was a child actress, that's a whole nother conversation. And it was something that he just was really, got him excited when I did anything even slightly like that. And you know, I was thinking about all the writing and it just sort of came to me. He passed away, came home. I had a traumatic experience losing a, a deaf dog that I had. And then it all kind of poured into this grief that I felt. So I took that grief and I somehow it just sort of manifested itself in my mind that I want to do something called the hour for hour for animals. And I talked to the community radio people and we worked together with the sanctuary and I got us, I just had a weekly slot and I would look for animal advocates and experts all over. And every week I would talk to someone and started interspersing, you know, some meaningful music and stories and news because I've always been somewhat of a news junkie, information junkie. And so it just came together. And even after I left, they kept the show going and they had a new, you know, put new hosts in. And so that was really, really encouraging. I left there because then I ended up getting a job in radio in Monterey and working there for a few years as a morning host and my career just sort of escalated from there. Oh, fantastic. So what, what did you, what did you focus on in Monterey? What type of news were you reporting? I was mainly reporting local news Mm -hmm. and then I became a co-host of a show and did the news where we'd have conversations and more human interest conversations and we'd do interviews. And and then the male co-host left, got another male co-host, and then some interesting things happened. <laughs> it's an in- interesting industry where a new company came in and wiped out half the staff and I didn't get wiped out. I was just basically get pulled to take over the whole show. And so then 9-11 happened and that was pretty tragic. But uh, And I, were you still in Monterey at that point? Or at were- 9-11, I was in Monterey, yes. And, okay. um, and I was supposed to come back east for a bridal shower, my bridal shower. I was getting married and I was afraid to get on a plane, you know, like everyone else at that time. Right. But um, it was an interesting time. I can't, 
fathom how frightening it would have been for people in New York, because even all the way in California, we were all very shaken by it. Of course, of course, but, uh, that was a very impacting time. Absolutely. Most definitely. So I know that at the time we were, my husband is in the Marine Corps. And so we were actually celebrating after 10 years of being married, we were celebrating and having a honeymoon and we were in Hawaii. Wow. And people are like, oh, you were stuck in, on, on a beautiful island. And I said, yes, but that was, it was such an impacting time seeing those images over and over. And then knowing that we were going to have to get back on a plane and come back to California. So we were very, we were scared. And yeah. we, we couldn't tell anybody that my husband was in the military because that was also something that we had to try and keep under wraps, even with military haircut and all that stuff, you know? So yeah, yeah. So those were things that were on the forefront of everybody's mind and those images we continued to see. So yes, that was a very challenging time for all of us. And yet you were, you were reporting the news and mm-hmm. how was that? How was that reporting the news at that time? It was difficult. Um, you know, we've just never really seen anything like that in the U.S. You felt sort of helpless from afar. Mm-hmm. You didn't feel safe. You didn't know if the world would ever be the same, you know. I always had a love for travel and never even thought twice about it. And I remember when my husband and I finally did get on a plane, I was scared. Sure. And I found myself doing things that I wouldn't do, which was sort of profiling, you know, looking at people. Are you are you Middle Eastern and are you a terrorist? And that's just not somebody, that's not something I am. You know, I don't, right. you know, I don't profile people by the way they look or where they come from or who they love or anything. Um, and yet it just sort of, it was a frightening time. Right. And really it was a time to really examine our, both our conscious and unconscious bias. It really was right in front of us. And we had to really look at that and say, how are we going to confront this and really help reduce our own personal fears for sure, for sure. And, and also make our way in the world. So you as a reporter and having to report this day in and day out, because this wasn't something that, that was going away. This was something that you continued to have to report on because things were changing daily. Right. And the world was scared. And now it's scary. And now it's scary again. And here you are reporting the news. So let's, <laughs> let's go forward and Yes, let's jump into the direction that you went. Right. Well, after Monterey, I went up to Sacramento. Sacramento. I kept kept getting more, uh, sort of just my career just kept growing. I became a field reporter, and it was amazing and wonderful. Talk about that a little bit. Talk about some of the people that you were able to interact with, some of the things that you did to get the inside scoop, so to speak. Yes, because you had a lot of adventure. Yeah, I did. Uh, (laughs) You know, it was fun because as a field reporter, instead of being in a studio, you can interact with people. You can get into places where maybe people aren't normally able to go. You know, I covered Arnold Schwarzenegger when he was governor and that was, uh, it was just never a boring day. It was really, it was really interesting and fun and a good time to be there. And, you know, it turned out to be just a wonderful adventure doing all kinds of things including you know there were problems in the city jail in Sacramento there were issues there were allegations 
So, you know, I did a story where I, you know, basically I got arrested and was put in a cell with a, an inmate and Friday night in the city jail and people are coming in intoxicated and just all kinds of things. So it was a fascinating, fascinating. And I think after a while of sitting in that cell, I started to feel scared. I thought this is a very frightening way to feel that you're caged in. And I had somewhat of an obsession back then with learning more about what goes on in prisons. And I did an amazing story with uh, Folsom Prison. They have an arts and music, arts and corrections, I believe it was called, program where the inmates were just taking any kind of instrument they could get their hands on. And they were usually worn out, broken down guitars. And they were playing the most hauntingly beautiful music. And I had an opportunity to spend a day with them. And these are people that aren't getting out. They're murderers. And I connected with them on a whole different level. They were like, you know, many were feeling like music was breeding life into a place they felt was, had no meaning. And um, regretful in most part ones that I met and so you know it put put them on a human level and so that was really fascinating to me so those were some of the things I did jumped out of a plane like with a microphone on to see what it would like was like and my my conclusion is there's absolutely no reason to ever jump out of a plane <laughs> Boy, Lauren, oh. did you have the courage? Oh, uh, not really. I don't know. It was. Were it you- wasn't courage. I don't know what it was. It was like I'm gonna. My husband was gonna do it, and I was like, "All right, I'm gonna do it. I'm gonna do a story about it. Why would anyone drop out of a perfectly good airplane?" And <laughs> um, I was just completely terrified. I was in mid-flight, attached to a very hot-looking skydiving instructor and I just I closed my eyes during the free fall and in the middle of that he's like open your eyes it's beautiful the chute's open the chute's open and I opened it up my eyes and I got I was like oh I'm gonna throw up (gasps) did you (laughs) yes at like you know 10,000 feet and it was like like And so he was like, oh, bananas. You had bananas this morning. <laughs> and I was just so apologetic. He said, oh, no, you don't know. I've, I've had people attached to me that threw up that were 200-pound men that have been drinking the night before. Don't worry about it. Oh. And, you know. Oh, my goodness. We That's hilarious. We on the ground, and my friends were videotaping with my shirt a mess, and it was... <laughs> I, I just laugh I about mean, later. <laughs> I, what a story though. I mean, what a story it's, I, I got in the first part of that story, I got visions of Bridget Jones jumping out of the plane and landing. <laughs> no, <laughs> it wasn't that. No, uh-uh. no, you know, and, and I remember putting that story together with all of it. I put the audio of everything, including my horrific scream at the first when you're like literally have no choice and you're like, you're going, you're free falling from 13,000 feet and to the, the, <laughs> the natural sounds of someone getting sick. And I basically played that, uh, what is this song? Uh, the Bon Jovi song, Might As Well Jump. And, uh, you know, I kind of began and ended with why would someone 
jump out of a perfectly good airplane. Oh, that's hilarious. And I said, the answer is still a mystery to me. So. Wow. Um, wow. Yeah. Wow. wow. So but still, my husband went and did it again. He loved it. Wow. So okay. There you go. So you jumped out of a plane. You've got oh, right. <laughs> then I moved. Then I moved on from Sacramento. I got an offer in New York and I was working there for a network. And then I moved to Washington to be closer to my mother who was ill. And so I started with a startup network in Washington and I did, we were basically a national news program and that was fun. Um, very fun. Did all kinds of amazing interviews, covered the democratic convention. Um, Jesse Jackson stole my banana. Oh. <laughs> um, <laughs> A banana again. I don't know what it is. With What's banana. the link with the banana, huh? I don't know. We were in, you know, we were interviewing him at the uh, convention in South Carolina, was it? The second, wow. second the re-election nomination convention for Barack Obama. Jesse Jackson sat down, saw I had a banana, grabbed it, and didn't ask. Wow. Seriously. I know. Didn't even ask. That's Just surprising. That he was entitled to take my banana. Wow. <laughs> You're like, okay, have my banana. Go ahead. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> okay. So you've had your banana stolen by Jesse Jackson. Um, yeah. yeah. Who could say that? I mean, oh my goodness. Wow. Yeah. Who could say that? Right. <laughs> so, so then we get into the national public radio. So NPR. Now, is that something you're doing? That is something you're doing currently? I do. I work part-time. I'm basically, I do news anchoring. I fill in. I only work part-time. I work full-time at Voice of America. Okay. Um, and I host a 30-minute news program there that airs internationally and very large audience in Africa. Gotcha. And then you're also doing some conservation editing and writing for the Wild Lens magazine? I am. And that's my favorite thing of all. You are a busy woman. Now, I have to go back because having read your bio and in my introduction, I do say you are a cancer survivor. Can you tell us a little bit about that, when that happened, and, and how that really impacted your life? Immeasurably. It happened after I had moved back to the East Coast. My mother was ill. And we were very, very, very close. I was the baby, so I always leaned on her. And I think that um, one of the hardest things about getting diagnosed was that I had a choice to make as to whether to traumatize her more in her last time on earth or to spare her. And I didn't tell her I needed her, but I didn't tell her because it would not have been helpful for me or her so it was hard keep keeping that from her I think that was a one huge impact on me that I still you know I just wince over because I wished I could have had her with for be there but I knew that it was the right thing not to tell her so yeah I got diagnosed um here I 2012 and it was how much detail do you want me to go into? Well, that's up to you. So what was the process? How did you come through it? What support systems did you have in place that you could actually right. 
where they could help you because by not having your mom yeah. being able to tell her, mm-hmm. that's a big deal. Yes, it was. It was difficult. Um, I had my husband at the time. Fortunately, we're not married anymore, but um, he was very, very, very good to me. He took good care of me. Um, I got, I was sort of surprised by the whole diagnosis because I had a history of lumpy boobs, I guess you could say, you know, fibrocystic Mm -hmm. lumps. And it was always, no, well, go get an ultrasound. It's nothing. It's nothing. It's nothing. And then that time it wasn't nothing and something had been hiding. And I didn't know that that really was, you know, no one ever told me, well, you could be at higher risk. You're raised you know, you have an Ashkenazi Jewish heritage, which is also a higher risk, which I didn't know. Didn't run in my family. And I really have to say, I took losing my breasts. It was difficult, but it was one of the easiest decisions I've ever made. It was, they were actually the body part that I loved the most. And we all have our body image issues, women, something we don't like, or we wish looked different, but, and that's true for me too. But that was the one thing on my body that I loved. I flashed, I bragged about how beautiful they were. It was quite interesting. But when the doctor said, you know, you're going to lose your right breast. There's no way. There's too much of it in there. I said, take them both off. And so I didn't really think twice about it because I didn't want to die. Right. It really changes your perspective. You you feel like you're invincible, and then suddenly you're like, "No, I'm not." <laughs> right. So from there, I made a story up to my mother that I had to go away for work. So that's why I couldn't see her because it's quite the recovery. But uh, they said you're cured. You're you're absolutely cured. And a couple months later, I lost my mother. Um, and then a couple months after that, I wasn't cured and it came back in my lymph nodes and what a woman, (laughs) the, the assault of breast cancer alone, the fear of living and dying, but also is sort of a slap in the face to take away your breasts and then tell you, you're going to lose all your hair because now at that point I had to have more surgery and I had to have chemo and radiation and losing your hair. I don't know. I, I know there are women that, you know, they, they own it. I didn't, I didn't own it. I had a hard time with it. Right. Um, but I'm alive and I'm healthy and I have a full head of hair and, you know, it was a lot to go through, but you know, that which don't kill you makes you, stronger and more in touch with yourself and what's important and right well thank you thank you for sharing that part of your journey with us I know that it could be really difficult to share because I'm sure when you were diagnosed and going through that whole process it was traumatic and you look back on it and many women say as you did Mm -hmm. What we go through sometimes makes us a bit stronger. And yet it's still something where it really, 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 I guess, impacts me when you say, they said I was fine. I was 
it was all gone. Right. And here it is yeah. back months later in your lymph nodes. And that honestly was almost more traumatic because right. you, then you think, how do I believe you? Right. Ever, if you tell me I'm cured and I'm now I have a higher chance of it coming back. If it comes back anywhere in a distant location, like a lung or kidney or your brain, then it's not curable. So it takes you to a whole new level where, okay, we got it. It's gone. You're good. No, it's not. So yeah, I spent many years looking over my shoulder. I'm starting to calm down. But uh, right. it was a lot of trauma at one time with the breast cancer, losing my mother, and then my marriage. Oh, that's a lot. Yeah, my that marriage is. after the chemo kind of fell apart, so that was another issue. But um, I'm still yeah. standing. And and here you are today, and here you are sharing your story. And I want to thank you for sharing your story. We've gone through so much. You've done so much. And you can look back and say, wow, I have the courage to jump out of a plane. My banana was stolen. Um, I, I still say it wasn't courage. <laughs> I, I think I was trying to prove a point to myself. Uh, I don't know. Well, you were courageous Thank through you. your journey of, you know, being a cancer survivor and also not telling your mom while you're going through something so challenging and so difficult and hopefully having the support that you needed in place during that time as well. And here you are standing, here you mm -hmm. are doing some things that you love and you're going forward. Now, mm -hmm. with all this said, mm -hmm. And we've been through so much here. I'm going to close on one last question. You've, you've given so much, but if you were to wrap up or sum up this interview, what words of wisdom would you offer the listeners? I would just say, try to quiet the voices in your head that say you should do this, whether it's the voice of your parent or your teacher or society all those voices that tell you what you should do or what you know would look good or in, for whatever reason things that you may be agonizing over because they're not really what you feel passionate about try to quiet all those voices and listen to yourself be authentic with yourself and make choices that are authentic to you and what is going to enrich your life and make you happy. Because ultimately, that's all you have is your life. And you have this one life. So really important to try to continue to figure out what it is that lights you up and stay laser focused on that. Thank you, Lori, for joining me on the Core Women podcast today. Thank you so much. It's been great talking to you. Absolutely. It was wonderful talking to you. If you'd like to know more about Lori London, please follow her on Twitter. If you need a strategic empowerment coach, contact me. If you want to tell your story of empowerment or how you have reconstructed your life to drive change, send me a video or an email of your story providing permission to use it on my social media platforms. If you want to be featured on my podcast, reach out to me at info at corewomen.com. I want to hear from you and to get to know you. You are now part of the Core Women home. Let's get to know each other. Let's learn from one another. Please follow Core Women on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter. 
please let your women friends know about this podcast. If you write about core women in your social media posts, please hashtag core women. This is all about women. Thank you for taking the time to learn more about core women and please stay tuned for continued growth of the core women movement. Let's grow and drive change together.